0: everybody and welcome to another edition of rowing chat the podcast for the sport of rowing i'm rebecca Caro, and i started this podcast back in 2013 because i thought it would be fun to have a place where rowers can come and talk about the very many very different parts of the sport we're all used to seeing interviews with top athletes with top coaches but one of the things i particularly enjoy doing is getting on the show the less obvious participants who make our sport so much fun and today, I'm delighted to welcome to Roan Chat for the second time, Robert Trahan-Jones.
1: Hello there, Rebecca.
0: Well, it's very nice to have you with us, Robert.
1: Well, it's good to be here after all this time. It seems, uh, you you mentioned it was the second time, but that uh, the first occasion when you welcomed me onto the show was, was really quite some time ago. So, yeah, good to be back.
0: I, I kind of never thought it was going to last this long if i'm being strictly honest but i keep sort of people keep thinking oh he is really interesting you should talk to them so oh, look they're doing really interesting things in a, a remote corner of rowing that i know nothing about you think well actually that will be interesting for me so here we are because you're doing something quite different from a lot of people because you were an athlete i'm guessing back in the day because we've talked about kit and how you procured a large number of club row suits But what are you coming to talk to us about today?
1: Well, as you said, commentary. So uh, rowing commentary is what I've been doing for uh, a good number of years now. And I started quite by accident uh, all those years ago. And uh, I I know it's a truism in broadcasting in many respects, how people fall into these roles. Uh, And it's certainly true for me because... uh, I was uh, a junior hospital doctor, I was doing a little bit of writing about rowing, so I was Richard Ayling's assistant on the old uh, rowing magazine based out of Putney uh, in those days, Richard sadly no longer with us, and uh, I was uh, it was my first job after I got married, mo- uh, live, working at the uh, hospital in Derby, because uh, I'm a doctor with my other hat on, um, up in the East Midlands and the National Watersports Centre in Nottingham was just down the road. So Richard said, right, go and write an article on the politics of Nottinghamshire International Regatta. Politics? Uh,
0: <laughs> there, there are politics? Yep,
1: <laughs> of course there are politics, Rebecca. You must know that this is rowing. Um, so uh, bit, a little bit of a snapshot. So the National Water Sports Centre opened in 1973, uh, hosted its first senior championships two years later, 75. Um and nir as it was known was an international regatta with decent sponsorship that happened the weekend before henley royal regatta so with the sponsorship money it attracted a lot of americans one or two uh european crews and they used to because of course overseas uh crews in those days didn't have to qualify for henley they didn't need to get bothered with the the qualifying races so they could spend the weekend before Henley, warming up at NIR and then moved down to, to, uh, to the Lower Thames uh, and take part in HRR. And then the sponsorship money ran out. NIR was unraveling. Um, and uh, to cut a long story short, the ARA, as it then was, the precursor of British Rowing, took over direct control of the event. And I suddenly get a letter out of the blue inviting me to joined the exec in charge of press and pr uh of which i knew not a lot in those days so that was a bit of a surprise i knew, i now know rather more about these matters than i did then um and press and pr included commentary okay. so i knew absolutely nothing about commentary so i i rang a chap who did And he agreed to take it on. And I cracked on with organizing the pre-event publicity, the press press facilities, the whole kit and caboodle. And then I rang my friend with a couple of weeks to go, excuse me, and he said, um, and I said, how are you getting on? I've heard nothing from you. And he said, oh, didn't you get my message? And it Mm -hmm. transpired that there was no message. Uh, He'd he'd been letting people down uh, before and since. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that left me in a bit of a quandary. and I said, well, actually, during the event, because I've got key people in charge of all the stuff I've organized, in theory, I'm at a loose end during the regatta. So for the first session of racing, I climbed into my own car with a start list and a radio pack, uh, and I commentated on my first race as a 2,000-meter, six-lane international regatta. Um, and and it was quite well received, to the extent that the uh, my colleague said, Robert, that was, that was okay, um, but I tell you what, for the afternoon, we'll give you a driver because it'll be safer that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, because as you'll realise, trying to um, steer with one hand uh, and your other hand is on the press to talk button on the microphone, and uh, then you're sort of steering with, um, you know, trying to manipulate the start list, which is wedged up in the corner of the windscreen. And and look out of the window because the rain. Oh, that's goes.
0: right. And look out of the window. That's the important bit. Like what is happening? <laughs> My goodness!
1: Fun times. So then, sure it, you it got so when, then. Did you,
0: when did when did you get Stan Collingwood then onto the commentary team because he told um, me a very good story about his schoolboy French at NIR.
1: Yeah, which brings us nicely onto the the, the next step in the uh, in, in the whole thing because yes, I recruited uh, a whole different bunch of, of guys uh, through the uh, uh the 1980s mm. so when um when 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 things uh really got going and we had to obey the fisa rules which then said that commentary had to be in uh, french and german as well as english right. and this was a I, I mean, I speak French and German to to some degree, so all I had to do was learn the uh, the jargon words um, because okay. you know when you when you're when you're uh, doing your your French vocab at school, words like um, you know crab and canvas and umpire don't really come into it. So... Le
0: premier equipe c'est la France.
1: <laughs> oui, oui, madame. <laughs> um, so anyway. Then I had to recruit other guys to, to, to help, including the late, great Stan Collingwood. Um, and, and I said, you know, do, do, do you speak French? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a whirl, he said. Um, and um, then I got a, a, a message because I was in the other car at the time and I I got a message from the tower saying, uh, Robert, we're going to have to change the rotor because um, it's coming to something when the French don't understand their own language when they hear it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Stan, bless him. Uh, absolutely fantastic commentator in English, but it was quite plain that the uh, the French was um, a little too arduous for him. So it's, um, anyway, the, story... but the, good, the, the good news is then it was, it was a few years later that the uh, that FISA changed the rules so that uh, these days commentary only has to be in English plus the local language, whichever nation the uh, the regatta is taking place in. So when English I say Nottingham,
0: over... Nottinghamshire, what do they speak?
1: Well, they, well, they speak East East Midlands there, so, but uh, at least it's understandable. It's not some, uh, uh, it's not some uh, completely regional dialect that is I, incomprehensible. I think we need to pause, <laughs> and I need to
0: tell you that Stan himself told me that when he tried in French, schoolboy French, to say that the French crew were abreast of whoever they were racing. The actual translation of what he said was, and the French are massaging their breasts.
1: (laughs) I can I can believe that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I believe him. And we have no one to, you know, count. I'm sure people alive today remember hearing that.
1: I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah, so that was at the, was at the 86 Worlds, uh, which was the second time the mm-hmm. Senior Worlds were held in Nottingham. And uh, yeah, again, it was, a, it was a great team we had put together. We had, some, we had some great fun. And that's the great thing about commentary. Yes, mm-hmm. you're working hard. Um, you, 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 and it's, it's uh, the way I describe it to other people. If you're commentating well, it's like putting on a dramatic performance. And at the end of a session, you should feel physically and mentally exhausted because you've given that little bit of yourself in putting on a in putting on a show
0: mm. so training commentators became a sideline because you continue to commentate for world rowing
1: yeah i wasn't i wasn't actually recruited officially for world rowing until about 20 years ago when uh, uh fisa as it then was before it um changed its brand into world rowing. Uh, And FISA were trying to uh, rationalize the way in which they provided commentary at international events because it was a little bit hit and miss prior to that. Uh, Sometimes uh, they would uh, rely on volunteers. Sometimes their uh, travel expenses would be paid. And sometimes there was even a fee on top of that. And FISA recognized the the whole concept of, of good commentary or good sport presentation to give it its, uh, its full title, was actually key to marketing an event, particularly to the non-rowing uh, public. And so they decided they would get, a, get together a core team of, of uh, half a dozen or so English-speaking commentators that would be their people, that they could drop into events around the world during the full international season. And then it would be up to the local OC to provide the local language commentators and that's mm. the sort of successful program by which things have been run ever since. Um, and so I've been part of the FISA team uh, ever since. And um, uh, but people come and go. Uh, and it's great to see the new people join the team because, of course, many of them have been graduates of the program that I've been running uh, for a number of years. So uh, so Peter O'Hanlon, who works alongside me as part of the uh, the World Rowing team. Now uh, he started out live um, commentating at National Schools Regatta uh, uh, as the as the sort of new boy back along, and now he is the the, the key tower announcer for World Rowing, and he does a lot of other uh, voiceover stuff outside uh, outside rowing as well.
0: Now you and I first met in the commentary context that Regatta Radio, which was an enterprise that bought a local radio broadcast license. For the month around Henley Royal Regatta and set up a radio station in a porter cabin in the car park behind Leander. And most of the time broadcast music, but during the regatta, and I think Henley Women's, they broadcast a little bit of race commentary.
1: Yeah, it was a fantastic concept, started up by um, people like uh, um, Charlie Wiggin and. Um, And I'm desperately trying to think of the other guys involved. It'll it'll come to me
0: in a minute.
1: uh, George Thomas. uh, George.
0: It was George's dad as well.
1: Yeah. uh, George's dad as well. Yeah. And they have Mr.
0: Thomas, George, (laughs) and Mr. Thomas.
1: (laughs) So a pop-up radio station, yes, leading up to and including Henley Royal Regatta, providing blow-by-blow commentary um, for key races in the program. And they they asked me to join them because. it was uh, a little bit hit and miss. Um, so they were commentating using uh, interesting sort of technology by perched up trees and ladders and things at key
0: points. A mobile phones. A Definitely, mobile in phone the first year, was... you were on a phone and the reception was lousy on the riverbank. And you had to stand as high as you possibly could. I
1: remember yeah, yeah. 4- 4G hadn't been invented. And uh, it was uh, really interesting technology. And they sort of said, look, we need to take it up a step here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I came along uh, and pulled in a whole load of other uh, key members, some of whom were still learning the craft of commentary, some of whom were more experienced. And then we um, made the major step of saying, right, we will commentate on every single race in the programme. Uh, and as uh, many of your viewers will know, there is usually at least two races on the course at any one time. So that brought its own problems because the next race will start before the other one has finished completely. So how do you mix and match sections of the commentary up and down the course? And so the, the, uh, the sort of pattern that we chose would be that if a race appeared to be done and dusted by the time the crews got as far as Remanem, you know, three quarters of the way down the field, then we'd go back to the start to the next race, whereas if it was a close one, we'd continue to the line, and then we'd pick it up, pick up the next race when it was already well advanced. Um, and and so w- we juggled things around like that, and it seemed to work pretty well. Um, and it ran very successfully for a number of years. All credit to, uh, to Hedley Royal Regatta stewards for allowing us to do this in this first place, because we were not officially part of their organization. But then sadly, a few years ago, along came their idea for providing um, streaming live video uh, with professional commentators providing um, talk over on top of that. uh, And and suddenly the whole business case for Regatta Radio uh, uh, disappeared. uh, And um, we no longer had, uh, or I no longer had, the sort of obvious training ground for bringing on new commentators. So I was quite pleased to be appointed head of commentary at National Schools Regatta a few years ago. And then that began to take the place of of what what Regatta Radio had provided so that now um, we can train new people as a a theory session in the classroom, as it were. And then we can give them practical sessions to go with that, working alongside the experienced people uh, at National Schools Regatta, which these days is held at Eaton Dorney. 2,000 meters, six lanes, so the the full international specification, th- uh, three days of racing. Uh, and again, we're seeing people coming up through the system, bring, really build building their expertise. So having done the theory, having done the practical, and then just as you did, they go and knock on the doors of other regattas, other um, typically domestic events, saying, you know, hey, uh, would you like a hand... Uh, with commentary, and most domestic regattas will welcome new commentators yeah. with open arms, because yeah, they've, had their, they've had their they've had their they've had their local guy in charge. You know, uh, I I call the local motor mouth has had the mic for the last twenty five years, and um, people would rather it's always a man for some reason um, when you reach that situation, and they'd rather he moved on, and then they can up bring on younger, newer people. Mm. You know, complete gender equity. We have uh, as many men as as women taking part in in the program these days, uh, and it's great to see women making their mark not only at the international level, but in another area where I'm involved is the um, uh, the the, uh, the floating stand commentary at uh, at Henley, uh, the the official announcements, and as you know from your experience. The uh, the video commentary at uh, at HRR uh, also includes a, uh, a a fair proportion of women as well. So it's um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it, it's I think your
0: your foresight, Robert, your sort of the the big thing that you brought to it when you trained me was to say, here's the deal: you must volunteer at your local regatta, and that was a you know I felt it as a responsibility, and um, I. I help out, obviously, locally here um, in in New Zealand at, at our local regatta, which is all commentated from the finish line. And so, even though it's only a one k regatta, it is fantastically challenging. Firstly, because they don't have they have like three lanes, but they put two or three boats into each lane. They're very wide, so it's right. really yeah. hard to tell. There's absolutely no guarantee that lane one actually has crews one, two, and three in it, um, which is always entertaining um plus a lot of people love telling me that I got the name of the club wrong because there are too many clubs that row in navy blue colors
1: yeah I was uh I was commentating at Nottingham many years ago and I hadn't been given a proper information sheet and that's something I want to come on to in a minute is is getting the right information before an event and um a uh a lightweight women's single scholar came down the course uh, and we were pretty certain it was the Mexican scholar. And then she she won the race and she came into the victory podium and we kept announcing her as uh, Maria Gonzalez of Mexico or whatever. Uh, and then a uh, a voice came out below us from the um, from the public stands downstairs and a voice says that's all right love we know you're not mexican and it turned out this was the irish girl and, and and i didn't have a clue
0: <laughs> we've all made wonderful wonderful hashes yeah. of things like that yes never cover them up always admit defeat is my uh, my mantra and then swiftly move on to something that's not about rowing so I often will run a, um, right, we have the regatta dogs competition. Please come and walk your dog past the commentary point,
1: which is great
0: because <laughs> who doesn't love a dog?
1: But I was going to say on the information front, I mean, it's it's relatively easy at world rowing because when the entries come in, yeah, we've, we've, now developed, we've now developed a system whereby a, uh, a database is automatically populated with the uh, the entries, the individual crew members in the right crew order for each event, for each nation, along with their uh, their pedigrees. So that's populated automatically from the international database. So all I have to do is then uh, take that raw data and uh, run it through a few utilities that we have to pin it down to a worksheet, mm-hmm. so that it's you know landscape A4. It might be several. You know, it might be 20 sheets long, but that's our document yeah. then for that regatta. And um, that's all, all very fine and dandy for international events, but for domestic events, it's it's less easy. And so we are currently developing what we hope will turn into a fully fledged idea with British Rowing, whereby uh, BROE, which is the online entry system with British Rowing, Yes, of course, that is the the de facto entry system. But uh, we are trying to then be able to have a system whereby you can pull out the results from that. And so when you come into a domestic event and, you know, you've got the, uh, well, the eight at national schools for uh, School X, uh, and you can say now, you know, six members of this crew uh, won the pennant in their event at the school's head earlier in the year or something like that without having to go through, you know, name by name uh, yeah. through, the, um, through the initial blurb at that time. Uh, and, and that would be absolutely magic. But uh, it hasn't happened yet, but that's our ambition. And, and that would really raise the game oh, uh, yeah. in, in the information that commentators can provide at, uh, at domestic events. Uh, and if, that, if that model works in the UK, then hopefully it'll, uh, it can transpose to other nations as well.
0: We're very fortunate in New Zealand that we have a, a similar online entry system, which is called rowit.nz. And you can look up an individual athlete. So you can look up Mahi Drysdale and you can see every single event he's done since he was a wee nipper, um, which is fun. It's not quite the level of sophistication that, that you described, um, but it is quite nice. It uses a nicer word cloud so you can pick out a single club. Um, at a single regatta and see all of the results for that particular club which can be helpful
1: yeah 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 good
0: now you're running a training day
1: we are it's not far to go So our next training day is this saturday and it's the first we've been able to run for several years because we we try and link the theory day with the practical day so the practical day at least in the uk is at the end of may with the next national skills event um and and this is the first training day that we've been able to run for uh, two and a half years for for obvious reasons. Um, and it's going to take place as a hybrid event. So it's going to be based in Henley. We've taken a room at Leander Club. Uh, we're only going to have a relatively few number of people in the room with us. But we're going to be joined by a, a three times as many from around the world uh, online. Right. Uh, and... Um, we we've had to charge uh, fifteen pounds. Um, we're not um, we're not looking to make a profit out of this, but we, there's a room fee, there's a little bit of technology. So um, Pete and I, who are running the event, won't, won't make any money at all out of it. But that's not why we do things in rowing. We do things to spread the word, to um, to try and share our experience of these matters. So uh, you you put up the URL um, so people can sign up there uh, if they'd like to join us. Um, Now, it takes place, it starts at 12 noon British summer time. So obviously that's, um, oh, crikey, let me do the translation. So that'll be 1 o'clock in the afternoon in in, uh, Central European time, won't it? Or it'll be, uh, let me get it right, is it 7 o'clock in the morning on Eastern Standard Time? more difficult, I suspect, for people in uh, places uh, like where you live, Rebecca. Um, but what we are doing is recording uh, the event, and then we'll uh, we'll chop it up a bit to make it a bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. So, because- just for
0: people listening, the if you go to Eventbrite.co.uk and search for Rowing Commentators Training Day, uh, you will probably find it. But I will also put the link that Robert shared in the show notes. So that you can click on it and find it yourself.
1: Excellent. Thanks for doing that. And if, if if all if if that fails, then you can always email me, uh, and you'll put the uh, my email address, uh, voice at talktalk.net, up in the show notes as well. Uh, and one way and another, we'll engage. So the the training, the full training session actually lasts four hours, um, but in the re- in the real live event, there's a few breaks for discussion. Um, Uh, And those people who are not joining us in person, they have the opportunity to go off and and put the kettle on or something and, and develop their thoughts about commentators they admire. It doesn't have to be in sports, certainly doesn't have to be in rowing. But so we're picking out the characteristics that people value about a good commentator. And that's just one example of the sort of little discussion points, the breaks that we have during those four hours where people are trying to formulate their own ideas about uh, the way that uh, makes things tick that they can bring into, uh, hopefully, their commentary when they start to, uh, to put it into action. And it's all built on um, my mantra that I call the three Ns, which is inform, enhance, entertain. And I developed this idea some years ago. And I don't know how it happened that I developed this. Th- so inform telling people what's happening. Enhance, enhancing what they can pick up with their own five senses, what they can see and hear, etc., cetera, um, and entertain is do it all in an entertaining fashion. Um, and it was many, many years later that I discovered that actually uh, the mantra of Lord Reith, who was one of the founding fathers of the BBC, his mantra was inform, educate, entertain. Now it, it was curious. I must have heard it at some subconscious level, um, because to, to develop my three Ms. But um, there's a curious similarity, obviously, between the two. I, I wouldn't. I, I think educate is a bit uh, a bit pompous for what we do as commentators. But uh, so yeah, and I prefer enhance.
0: I have to say though that as a school's regatta. There are always people watching who've never been to a regatta before or have never rowed, their parents, their friends, you know, their grandparents. And actually, it doesn't go far amiss if you do simple things like explaining why is that boat going faster than that boat? What yeah. can the casual observer see with the naked eye? And that's the sort of thing that I've always tried to take into my own commentary.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And that's uh, another key, is to know your audience. Um, because uh, in different regattas, your audience will be more and less rowing knowledgeable. Yeah. And I suppose an extreme example of that was the Olympics. Um, so at uh, Eaton-Dorney 2012, we were fully aware of the fact that 90% of our crowd, there were 35,000 people there. It was an enormous crowd for a, for a rowing event. Um, Knew little or nothing about the sport, so our brief was to tell them about rowing. Um, in the weather, sort of way you described, you know, what, what why is it why is a quad different from a four? It's okay. it's still got four people in each boat, it's still the same hull, actually. Um, but it's got different med, metal things sticking out, and one seems to have four blades on both sides, and, and the other one has four blades in total, that sort of thing, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you you, you can take it right down to Janet and John stuff, as we would call. Mm -hmm. Whereas, obviously, if you're if you know that your your audience is more rowing knowledgeable, then you can click into the sort of technical stuff about, you know, runs on the boat and pausing at front stops and all the other sort of little uh, technicalities. Mm
0: -hmm. Once in the early regatta radio days when we had got we migrated over to, I think, walkie-talkies and microphones and big hit earmuff kind of headsets. I was located in the floating stand on the finish line at Henley Royal Regatta, and a very good position looking right down the course. And it was my job to take the very last bit. So I probably had about 500 meters to take over from the previous commentator and a very exciting race was coming down and I was doing my best and I was in full flood and remember saying, and they've crossed the line and back to the studio, at which point I click off my microphone and take my headphones off and the elderly gent standing next to me turns to me and he says, my dear, I thought you were talking to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it happens, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: Standing here with a huge great microphone and some headphones it was very very headphones. i didn't really know what to say <laughs> <laughs> now robert thank you so much for joining me today and to all of our listeners i really hope that some of you will think of somebody who you think might benefit from becoming a rowing commentator or might enjoy trying the training there's no obligation to practice it but there's no harm in learning and if you can afford 15 pounds don't forget the event will be recorded so that you can watch it afterwards if you're not able to attend live or in person in (coughs) Henley-upon-Thames. Robert thank you for your time and to all our listeners it's been great having you here along for another episode of Rowing Chat. Until next time, bye-bye.